All right, so I'm starting a new mini-series this morning called New Beginnings. And I'm going to give you kind of a background as to why and how this all came about. So I always feel like when there's this prophetic rising inside of me that I'm bursting to kind of share what God is doing and saying in my own heart. And uh, if you remember at the beginning of the year, God took me to Gideon. And uh, if you remember in terms of the context of what that prophetic, those prophetic preachers were, were around the fact that, okay, guys, we had a really tough, well, I certainly had a very tough uh, 2015. The first half of 2016 is going to be no different. But we're crying out to God, and I, I feel like halfway through the year, there's going to be this shift. And as hard as the first six months are going to be, as the shift starts to happen, it's going to kind of get this momentum right down to the end of the year. And we're going to turn around and go, wow, what an amazing year. Not an easy year, but wow, what an amazing year in terms of what God has done in and through us. And um, it's amazing how the shifts have started on multiple levels. And, uh, you know, when we had to move from the Badham's property, I always thought we would be on the Badham's property. If some of you recall or know the story, some of you may not know, but when we finally got that, that venue, um, there's the K56 road that's coming right through it. And we had to make sure that we were going to spend all this money kind of uh, doing it up and renovating it, that it was worth our while. I went to um, residence meetings and, and found out that this thing was a little ways off, and so we could more than likely stay on that, in that venue until such time as we moved on to our property. So you can imagine about August last year when we were called in all of a sudden by the Badham family and said, look, we need the venue for our son. Sorry, but you have to move up by the end of January. And I went, God, really? This is not convenient. God, I thought that you had this in place. God, I thought that this was, and as my mother used to say, well, you know what thought did? He planted a brick and thought a house would grow. And I think, thanks, Mom. That doesn't really help me. But I did think, and I did thought. And now my thoughts are not in the way that I thought. And so I'm now thoughtless about what you're saying. So God, what are you doing? And then we land up in Bryant Park. And again, you guys know the story. We signed that thing on Thursday. We moved in on Sunday. The other church in the city wanted that venue and were trying for 18 months and didn't get it. And we walked in and took it from under. I didn't know about it. <laughs> I wouldn't have done that if I had known that there was another church looking for it. We only found out afterwards. And uh, the point is, is that God provided for us. And I'm grateful for Brian Park, but I didn't like Brian Park. I'm like, God, no, this is not. I love this. I love the fact that kids can come and dance and that there's a freedom. Even Greg and Sue, Sue Stevens said, we love the freedom that Lifehouse has. Because there is life with the kids just kind of, and I know sometimes it's a little irritating with these little not, uh, snot pickers doing their thing. But actually, it's family, and family's messy. We don't do that to our kids at home, do we? They have free reign, and they, well, largely free reign. Let's be, let's, you know. But what happens is, is we, we, we had three-month lease agreement, and then we had a two-month notice period. After three months, I was so busy with all the stuff going down. We were also busy. I didn't actually kind of go, okay, guys, let's start looking again. And kind of halfway through that month, I'm on holiday, I get this email from uh, the Nevada group, who, who the guys who own the building, and they say, you need to sign a two-year contract with us. Now I'm like, whoa, hold on a second. I'm shocked into kind of action now. I meet up with the admin team, and I say, Paul, uh, Shams, Dale, please go and let's start looking for another venue. That week, they land up here through a conversation that Charmaine had with Josanne and Peter, because they had the residence meetings here, and he says, uh, they say, yeah, no, our place is available. We had a church in here last week, but the, or two weeks ago, but they're no longer coming back. So if we had tried back then, we wouldn't have got it, but now this moment. And so we go, coincidences? So God delayed us a month 
to go and look for something. We found the place that, and now, as, uh, where's Anthony Evans? Is he here? Was he on? He's on kids. Praise at our, at our meeting, our prayer meeting, before we leave Bryant Park. Thank you, God, that you are placing us in a place that we can gaze upon the miracles that you're going to unfold in our land. Is Jamie here? Giving Jamie the go-ahead to start building the wall in the front. We're going to start building the wall as soon as possible. Got to get the, obviously, land surveyor on and all those kind of things. <laughs> yeah, a bit of pressure, eh, but The point is, is five years ago when we were at the Barnyard Theatre, or Reno Royale as it was named then, and God had spoken to us. And I know you, some of you have heard this story, but I'm going to say it again. is that God spoke to Louise and I when we were traveling around. This is where you need to plant. Chartwell, Cedar Lakes, Broad Acres, this is where it is. There was just this, this is where it is. We, we knew. We tried Midrand, Centurion, Pretoria. We tried a whole bunch of other places, but God said, here. We even considered the UK. I had a British passport. We were in the UK on a, what they used to call a leadership training time. And uh, we in Nottingham and more places where uh, Robin Hood is. And uh, we asked God, is this the place? And there was just nothing. You know when you just hear the crickets and there's nothing else. And so God said, plant the church here. So when we, we lost that venue and we landed up having to go across to uh, the Badham's property. And without going to how we landed up there. You kind of go, okay, God, I said to God, what are you doing? Like, this is where you said plant, and now, you, now have, we, have we heard you wrong? Is, is it not working? And, and I think all of us have had lives like that where we think this is what God's doing. And we plan, we plan, but then God says, no, I'm establishing your steps, and I'm going this way. And you go, but God, but, but what he does is he seems to do something in this process to bring you back. God's brought us back. And Rumbi, I, I don't know if she's here this morning, I haven't seen her, but when she, she manages this property, her first words to me when I arrived here on the property was, welcome home. Now, she had no idea of the history that we had. And so for me, it was just like, okay, God, what are you doing? And through the months after we were on the Badham's property and going, but God, we're supposed to be back here. We worked into this community. We went to all the carols by candlelight or what they call it, candles by truck and candlelight. And there's, there's quite a lot of fun that happens in this community. We, we helped out in the, the Chartwell North stuff. And we, we, we've been, we were involved in the community. And then God pulled us out. And I'm going, God, what are you doing? And God says, I'm hiding you. I'm like, okay, you're hiding me. All right, I don't know what you're hiding me from. But he says, no, I'm hiding the community too. I'm hiding you for a season because I want to grow stuff in you as a leader. And I want to grow stuff in the community for what I have for you in the, in the future. So I go, okay. I mean, that sounds great. And, you know, we can celebrate these moments. But you know what the problem is? Is when God hides you, he forges you. Have you ever seen a katana, a samurai sword that's been made? Do you know what they call folding steel? Have you ever tried to fold steel? Okay, so what you've got to do is you've got to beat it flat and then you've got to fold it. And you've got to stick it in the fire, make it all manual, bring it back and beat it again. And then take it and fold it. Fold it flat, fold it again. I don't know how many times a katana sword is folded. Does anybody know? But it's thousands of times. It's like, it's like massive amount of times. You stick it in the fire. You get it all malleable. You take it out. You beat it flat. You fold it. You beat it. You put it back in the fire. It kind of felt like that over the last season. It's like, God, okay, I don't know if I can take much more. What's happening here? What's happening there? I don't understand. So it has been a tough season, but then all of a sudden, God gives me that prophetic thing around Gideon. 
We come into the year, and literally, in the month of June and July, we have our best financial month ever in seven years. Ever. I go, okay, God, what are you doing? We're not doing anything different. In fact, we've lost some folks through the different transitions and moving here. Some folks can't, they say, you're just too far away from us now. But now we're back where we're supposed to be, in the area where we're supposed to be. Whoever joins us now, well, they've got 300 meters to go. They can't use that as an excuse to leave us anyway. <laughs> and I just start to see these miracles unfold. And we've got money to put up the wall and start the earthworks and hopefully put the foundations in place. We'll see. But God is unfolding this quickly. And I'm starting just to see this, this momentum that God is bringing into play. And so for me... I'm realizing that there are a lot of new seasons. I've just mentioned Karen. I've mentioned others. There's new seasons that are starting up. And uh, so what happened was the end of June, I'm in my study, and I'm kind of just engaging God, and I'm saying, God, what's, what are you doing? And I, I hear this phrase, new beginnings. New beginnings. Okay, God, new beginnings. What do you mean? Now what happens is I get onto a flight and go to Mali, and I'm doing an order certificate for Anglo up there, land up on a mining compound. There was a lot of time of silence and solitude, which is good for the soul. So kind of forced into that. So sometimes I go, God, why are you taking me out of the country? I, don't, I want to be with my family. I don't want to be away. I planned it so badly. I'm over midterm break. I'm away. So Louise has the kids. At least she didn't have sports and all that. But I wanted to be with my kids. And so I'm sitting in Mali with temperatures at 30-odd degrees and air-conditioned places, and I couldn't really do much. But you get time just to whew, silence and solitude. So I start researching new beginnings, and God leads me to Noah. I start to see how there's these, these, these patterns around how God started new beginnings with Noah. He started the same thing with Abraham, with Moses, and so forth, and so on. And so I'm starting to see these principles that are coming out that when God starts something new in us, we need to hold on to some of those principles and make sure that those things are in place so that it takes us into what God has for us because a promise is conditional. Let me say that. A promise is conditional. It's so only anyway, when God makes an oath that it's unconditional. And I'm going to leave it there because I want to go into that in uh, weeks to come. And so in this process, God starts me on this journey. And so one of the key, the key texts is out of Genesis 8.15 in the middle of the Noah story. Because basically Noah kind of starts on, in Genesis uh, chapter 5 through to 10. And, he, and it says, then God said to Noah, come out. Come out of the ark. You and your wife and your sons and your wives. Everyone, come out. I feel like God is saying that to life us. Come out. I think some of you have been hidden for a long time. I think there are sleeping giants sitting right here. And God is saying, come out. Come out of where you're at. Because God wants to take us in, into what he has for us. It says in verse 17, bring out every kind of creature with you. The birds and the animals. All the creatures that move along the ground. So that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. God is saying, come out. And start to produce the fruit that I've destined you to, 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 to produce. Love, can you give me some water? Sorry. I know you got me some tea, but I've drunk that. So. And what was interesting was part of what Sue shared, if you remember, in that prophetic start and preamble to the preach. I want you guys to go and listen to that preach if you haven't already. And if you have, just go and listen to the game. Because he has an apostolic gift that's come into our midst and has prophesied over us. And part of that was... Every single person needs to take the stand and move into the ministry and play their part in order for Lifehouse to be who she's supposed to be. The smallest to the largest, the, the seemingly insignificant to the most significant, need to play their part in walking what God has for them. And then, like I said in the prayer meeting, 
I have a DW. In, in, in my case, it's a VDW, and you'll see in a moment what that is. I know there's many DWs around here. And you're going to say, what is a DW? It's a direct wife. <laughs> Louise doesn't get, let me get away with anything. And as she said, she's a VDW, a very direct wife. And so when I slip up, when I don't do things in the way that possibly I should do it, or when I'm discouraged, my wife tells me so. And she says to me, yeah, but Gary, do you know that... As, you go, as the Israelites went into the promised land, they fought ten, more, ten times more battles than they did outside of the... I'm like, thanks, love. Thanks for bursting my bubble. New beginnings. I'm looking forward to this. But like I said in the prayer meeting, what happens is, is when God takes us into new beginnings that are ordained by Him, and He calls us out, the fruitfulness that comes out of that is something when our faith meets His faithfulness, it explodes as the kingdom of God comes. Can we say that again? Because <laughs> everyone's looking at me like, what we can do is we can go on ventures and all kinds of stuff and we can produce some degree of fruitfulness. But when our faith and our trust in who God is and what he's all about and what he's called us into meets his faithfulness, the kingdom of God breaks in and there's an exponential increase in fruitfulness and multiplication. Can I hear yes or yes or no or I don't agree with you, Gary? The fact is, is when we go in, there's going to be opposition. And God says, keep going. And that's what he did. As he brought the Israelites in, there were extraordinary miracles. Jericho was an extraordinary miracle. Guess what? It was birthed in silence and solitude. Let's walk around this thing and go, oh my word, what is Joshua doing for goodness sake? Seven times, okay, let's shout and blow our trumpets. And what happens? All the walls fall down. How does that work? I don't know. Was it the frequency of the shout and of the trumpets? Possibly. But God caused all of those things now to fall down. And then what happens, their next fight is they go in and they get smashed by AI. Why? Because of one man's sin. You know what? When we enter this new season, understand that our sin is going to stop us moving forward. But yeah, the gracious hand of God comes and causes them to overcome anyway afterwards. So we've got to look at our own lives. I look at my own life and I think, God, I'm missing the mark on so many levels. God, how do I live before you in righteousness and in purity? I know the righteousness is imputed by Jesus, but how do I do that before you in my commitment with you? It's going to require us to be strong and courageous. That's what God said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous and do not be dismayed. For every place I've put your foot shall tread, I've given to you. Do we believe that? Do we walk in a place of saying, okay, there's new beginnings. There's an opportunity for us to grasp. Do we step out in courageous faith? Like I've said, there are sleeping giants here. It's time to come out and to step out in courageous faith with what God has called you to. I love watching Rob and Tab up here. They come alive when they talk about the destitute and the lost and the, the poor. I love it. Now, I know not everybody's moved by that, and that's Okay. Some of you are moved by business and producing wealth. Some of you are moved by teaching. Some of you are moved by your kids and your family and, and all of those things. Those are all good things. We're not all the same, and that's the brilliant part. But when we come together in our multi multicultural diversity, there is such an amazing strength that God is always destined and purposed. So let's go to the scripture. And I haven't, I don't know what time I'm doing here. When we go to Genesis chapter 5, so if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your iPhones, whatever your, your, your preference Open it up with me, please, because I want to start with the, with, with the, the text. And 
You know, Genesis 5 to 10 is the account that I'm going to be looking at. And the most amazing thing here is that, I don't know about you, but the Noah account, like Louise said some, some weeks ago, is quite a frightful account. And yet when we look, we go into kiddies' nurseries, there's the little Owa's not, uh, not Owa, 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 Owa's ark. Um, Noah's ark and all the little animals and all that kind of stuff. But actually, God killed pretty much every human being except eight. Um, there were floating carcasses and rotting flesh. And let's just be honest about what this moment is. But the problem is, is that when we go down that, we, and why men and women don't go down that, is because we then place that on God as opposed to placing that on sin. And what we do is we mar the character of God and we see him as this angry God who wants to destroy. When actually when we read the account properly, we realize it's a gracious God affording men and women grace in the context of their own sinful lives. So let's have a look and we start to see the character of God as it should be. Okay. Here's, I've got a few slides, I don't have a lot. Is we've moved from a society of being agricultural we then had this massive industrial revolution and humanity moved into the industrial revolution. We had all these uh, machines and, and that thing's just carrying on. And I've got so much to say on that, I'm going to stop myself. And then we move into this information age. And then there's a man who says, um, this guy John, and I don't know how you would pronounce his surname, but he says, we are drowning in information, but we are starved for knowledge. What does that mean? Well, we have this explosion of knowledge, don't we? All this information around our psyches, about our bodies, about how this world works, how environments work, how societies work. In fact, Google is your best friend. You want to find out anything about anyone, just go and Google it, and you will find information on that. Whether it's true or not, it's another story. But the point is, is you can get any kind of information at, the, at your fingertips, can literally pick this up and go, what is the age of Sylvester Stallone? Oh, he's 72. What movies did he do? Boom. In fact, we don't even have to type it now. We just go, Siri, how old is Sylvester Stallone? Oh, 72. Information at our fingertips. And yet, the problem is, is that it's not paralleled with the explosion of knowledge about God, is it? In fact, we are further away from God than we've ever been, even with the pro pro prolification, prolific, that word, of information that we find ourselves. So we, even Christians, are starving of the knowledge of God despite the information that we have about Him. If I showed you what was on my iPad in terms of resources, you would be amazed. I'm amazed what's on here. There are concordances, there are commentaries, there are study Bibles, there, there is a Greek, it's called BDAG. It's the most unbelievable Greek dictionary that you can imagine. It explains every single Greek word in the New Testament, unpacks it, the morphology, how it impacts the sentence that you're doing. All on my iPad. In fact, it's on my phone as well. Some of you got Kindle on your phone. How many books have you got stored at your fingertips about God? And yet, I think most of us would acknowledge that we have very little knowledge about Him. And yet, the most important thing in our lives is our knowledge of God. Genesis 5 verse 1, let's start. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. And then verse 3 has this amazing thing. Notice the difference. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son after his own likeness. 
in his own image, and he named him Seth. So isn't it amazing how we are supposed to be created in God's image, in his likeness, and yet what happens is sin mars that, and the minute Adam has his child in Seth, he makes him in his own image. My first question to you right now is what are you reproducing? Are you reproducing the image and likeness of God in your life, in your family, in your workplace, or are you reproducing yourself in your own selfish, sinful desires? You know, Genesis 1.27 tells us that God created us in his likeness. In his image, he created us. It goes on to say, be fruitful and increase in number. Subdue the earth, rule over it. That is the mandate that God has given us. The thing is, though, it's not just to procreate. We think that God's mandate to us was, hey, let's just go, go and ha have sex like bunnies and produce offspring. That's not what God was saying. God is saying, go and increase and multiply my image, my likeness into this earth. It was only the Garden of Eden. It was this small little place on earth. And we are still called to do that. That is still our mandate, is to multiply, be fruitful, and increase the image and likeness of God into this world that so desperately needs him. What is it like for God to come and inhabit earth? Well, it looks like Jesus. So when we say, well, what, how do we do that? Well, we need to be like Jesus. What did Jesus do? He went around healing the sick. He went around looking after the poor. He went around looking at the destitute, those who needed help, those who needed to be delivered from evil spirits. God's not into addition. God's into multiplication. God's not just into increase. He's into fruitfulness. And so God's calling us as a community as we move into new beginnings to multiply those things within us into the world in which we live. My question to you is, are you in a multiplication process? Are you participating in God's multiplication process? Or are you kind of just stuck in, it's me, myself, and I. Hey, I'm okay, it's me and Jesus, no problem. Or are you doing that in your workplace? Are you doing that in your family? So here's something that happens to me. This process is not difficult. So last week, I get called into the office that I'm working in, one of the companies that I'm working in. I get called in to change a name on a software system. I drive for half an hour to get there. I ask, how do you, how do you unpack this? How do you do this? Someone tells me, no, that's what you've got to do. I literally find out which computer it's on, which took me probably half an hour because it Without going into all the detail, it's relating to SAR stuff and easy file if you know this stuff. I finally find out where that particular payroll is and where it was submitted. I go in and I literally go, cut, paste, enter, save, submit. I was frustrated. In fact, let me say I was angry. In that process, I arrived there and the particular lady that I've been working with around this He's sitting at a desk, and I go to her and I say, what needs to happen? She knows exactly what needed to happen. I go off trying to find which system, and I come back and I say, please, Mrs. X, won't you please just check on your machine, whether it's on this particular machine? There's five other ladies in this office space. I can feel the atmosphere is icy. I've walked into something. Now, part of me is I'm going, okay, so what have I done? Because I can feel this coming at me in such a way. I say, excuse me, Mrs. X, can you help me, please? Nothing. I'm standing behind her. It's not like, and I can see everybody else is like, 
So I'm thinking, okay, what do I do? Because I actually want to slap her on the back of the head and say, wake up. <laughs> and stop being so disrespectful and dishonoring. Okay, I step back and I go, okay. So I say to the other lady, hey, ma'am, won't you look on your machine? And I find it on her machine and we sort it out. And I go away frustrated. So now I get called into the office because one of these other clients, they've lost. And so I get called in on Monday saying, can you tell us what happened? So I explain, and it's actually just a very difficult client, which I think is a good thing that they're gone. And I said, no, look, I've had some challenges with one of the ladies and whatever else. And the guy explains to me, look, this is what week she had. And he explained to me what had gone down. So I said, well, I'm letting you know that I'm going to confront her because I'm not a confronter. I haven't been my whole life, but God's teaching me to. And so I say, I'm letting you know I'm back on Thursday and I'm going to confront her. So I arrive on Thursday very early, 7 o'clock in the morning. And guess who's the only other person in the office? Mrs. X. So I go up to her and I say, Mrs. X, can I ask you, have I offended you? Knowing some of the background, it's the week she's had. And she goes, no, not at all. In fact, it's the opposite. So I said, okay. I said, but last week, I really felt disrespected and dishonored by you. She goes, I'm so sorry. I had a week from hell. And she said, in that morning, I've got glaucoma. Now, if you know what glaucoma is, it's an eye disease that can land up, actually bring him. Yeah, it's thumb up. You're right. I've been rambling. I'm not even halfway. So she says to me, and I had to cancel a, a, an appointment that I had with my ophthalmologist that was in my diary for six months because I had to finish this particular deadline. And my one eye is continually degenerating. I said, can I pray for you? She goes, oh, okay. So I go over to her and I lay, my, lay hands on her head and I just say, Lord, and I, I pray this prayer and I can feel the presence of God fill the room. See, that's multiplication. It's not difficult. Because if God lives within us and the God who we know, then when our faith touches his faithfulness, he fills that room. All the stuff around that atmosphere is now changed. And I walk away and she goes, Gary, thank you so much for praying for me. Because I don't think anybody stopped to pray for her. What? Now, I'm not talking about, trust me, this is not normally me. I'm not the oak who does this kind of thing. But what I'm realizing is that multiplication is allowing what's inside of us to come out in all of those circumstances and always saying, hey, can I pray for you? Because you know what? When we went on the streets the other day, we asked people if they, if they wanted to be prayed for, and they said, no, honor that. Don't go, come on, you need to know Jesus. No, free choice. God honors free choice so much. Why, why don't we? If people don't want to hear about Jesus, don't force it on them. Go on your phone. <laughs> You know, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and I will be with you until the end of the age. Tell them everything that I've commanded you to do. And so when we're in the world and when we're in those moments, are we taking those opportunities to multiply the image and the likeness of God into those contexts? The atmospheres change. The first place that you can do this is in your family. You know that God's mandate to us is multiplication. And again, I'm not talking about procreation. I'm talking about sitting with your kids. And I'm talking about imparting to them the likeness and the image of God. So what happens is, is when they grow up and they leave home, they go and start a family and do the same thing. They do the same thing. Remember that body on tap advert? 
And I told somebody about it, and they told somebody about it. And before you know it, what you have is you've got multiple families across the world displaying the image and likeness of God, and that's what we are called to do as people. So at the very least, what you should be doing is within your, your family unit is getting together, having your quiet times, having your moments of devotionals, all of those kind of things, and in your day-to-day moments, displaying the image and likeness of God into that atmosphere of your home so that that can be multiplied because the world is looking for families to demonstrate the qualities of Jesus to them. Adam failed, but Jesus fulfilled that, and so we can come behind what he's done. And the beauty about all of this is that if you're not doing this well, there's new beginnings, and God is a God of new beginnings. And you can start to unfold this new beginning, not just for our land, not just for all of these other things, but you've got new beginnings inside of you where you can start to impart these things because God is into redemption. God is into new beginnings. And so the next text, or next thing in this text in chapter 5, it says, when God created. So I want to show you what happens. Like last week we prayed for the doctors. Why do you go to a doctor? Because you're sick. So if you're feeling spiritually sick, I guarantee you that if you look at these three things and you make sure that they're in order, you go to the dock, and the dock is this, dependence, obedience, and consequence. Because God created, no matter how clever we get as human beings, we cannot, we cannot create something out of nothing. God is the one who is so massively creative. He, the guys who evolved in photography and in the, the arts and all that kind of stuff, God is so creative. Where should you find your creativity in him? If you're an accountant, find your creativity in him. That was a joke, but okay. <laughs> the, the point is, is that there's a creativity that only God has, that if we don't kind of link into it, if we don't plug into him, then we don't have the image and likeness of who God is. We don't have that creativity within us that can then be expressed into the world around us. If we're not walking faithfully with God, we can't see that. So there's a dependence on God. Are you depending on God or have you just become independent? The second thing is, is there's a principle of obedience. What is God saying to you as you are walking with him and he says, Gary, go left, go right? God said to me, you're going to confront this lady and I want you to do this and I want you to do it on Thursday, not on Monday when I was in. I arrived there on Thursday and there she is and I'm going, okay, God, I have no excuse. Like I said, I'm not a confronter. I had to take a few deep breaths, trust me. This lady's a, a strong lady. And I half expected her to kind of blow up, but she didn't. And I think we've got to listen to the voice of God in obedience. Because here's the thing. From obedience, there is consequence. And from one aspect, when we obey, there's life. When we disobey, there's death. Now, how do you put all of this together, Gary? Well, just like God has ways and a character about him, that when we follow his ways, life comes. And just as we don't, there is death. It's the same thing as natural laws. Try and defy gravity right now. Some of you kind of float up in the air. Or maybe even get to the top of that building and jump off. I can tell you now, it's not going to go well with you. And I'm not going to cover the admin team's nakedness right now. Hopefully I give them dignity in the process. It's one of my preachers. But Evan comes to me the one day, and he's his dad. And he says, that admin team. And he shakes his head. I say, What? Well, we're moving to here, and so they unscreen some of the stuff to get the furniture out, and they're using a pair of scissors. 
Now, 10 out of 10 for creativity, and we know that our admin team has a lot of that. Now, who's done that before? I have. Either I'm too lazy to go get the screwdriver from the garage, which actually is really what you should use, because when you use the right tool for the right job, it kind of works. So that what happens in the process, they destroy the pair of scissors that they're using, and they destroy the head of the, the screw that they're trying to unscrew. And if, but it's the same thing with us, isn't it? If we don't do it God's way in the way that he's, because he's the one who knows what, how to do this stuff. And we keep going, no, I know better. So when we take the screwdriver instead of the scissors, guess what? We don't damage ourselves and others as we walk this earth, as we do what God has called us to do. So look at the consequence. Verse 5 of Genesis chapter 5. It says, altogether Adam lived 930 years. And we go, yes, that's a lot of years. But then it says, but then he died. <laughs> Not the effects of sin. Adam lived 930 years, and then he died. So ultimately, we see the results of sin. Now, my understanding is, is that sin hadn't fully kind of had its play in the DNA of man yet. And as you see, why did men live so, so, so long back then? Yeah, different oxygen levels, all that kind of stuff. But I think what happens is a sin has caused, like Romans 8 said, it's gone into the very DNA of our bodies. Why do you think we see so many deformities and stuff now? Because the whole DNA structure is just being obliterated by sin. It's my own personal opinion. And so what we start to see here is that still, even then, Adam, having kind of the perfect DNA, 930 years he lasted, sin got its way and death came. And it goes on, it says, Seth had Enosh, and he died. And Enosh had get and he died. And it gets to verse 21, it says, And Enoch lived 65 years. He became the father of Methuselah. Those who are pregnant, there's a good name. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God for 300 years. Notice that when you have kids, you cry out to God a lot more. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years, and he walked faithfully with God, and then he was no more. God took him away. Adam died. Seth died. Kenan died. Died, died, died. And what it shows you is that when a man, despite his sinful nature, walks faithfully with God, he averts the normal death that everyone else has. The way of God brings life. That's why when Joshua is about to go in, or, and then also in terms of uh, Deuteronomy 28, it says, I set before you life and death. Choose. When we obey God, we choose life. When we have a happy wife, we choose life. <laughs> when we move in disobedience, death comes. Death will always come when we don't operate in that place of faithfully walking with God. So, Genesis 6 verse 5 says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination and thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. Now, I have got six pills for you to take, or six P's, let me call them. And I'm going to go through them quickly, and I know I've been up here already way too long. But I've got six P's that I want to leave you with. So I've, I've brought you to the dock, and I want to administer some medication to you. And uh, let me show you what those six P's are. They are perspective, they are pain, they are pleasure, they are plans, they are patience, and they are promises. And so 
I want to go through each one of those and give you perspective on these things. Now, in those days, humanity thought God was this far off God, wasn't close by, wasn't interested in them. But the Bible tells us different, doesn't it? It says, who is man that you are mindful of him? We are the apple of God's eye. We are all of these things that the Bible tells us about. And the thing is, is that we can get into a place where we see the character of God as different. What is your perspective of God? Is he that old, grumpy old man waiting for you to mess up so he can slap you? Or is he the loving God that actually wants to see you succeed in life? I think our world often goes for the former rather than the latter. God was concerned. You know, God, was con- God is so close to us that he knows the intents and thoughts of your heart. Now, I wish some of our referees would know that. Because we watch a game of rugby and we see two guys collide in the air and the ref sends the guy off, but there was absolutely no intent. I understand the referee's difficulty because he, how, how does he discern the intent of that player doing what he did and causing the injury that he did? He, he can't. He can look at the slow-mo and kind of get a feel for it, but he doesn't know ultimately what was the motivation, what was the intent of that man's heart to do what he did. But God does. God is so close to us that he knows the intents of our heart. And you'll see later on, and I'm going to give you some insights, is that it's interesting that Noah sins later on when he builds himself a vineyard and gets fraught drunk and lands up naked. God doesn't really kind of glosses over that. But when Ham, his son, doesn't give him dignity, God acts. Interesting. I'll leave that with you. Go and study it for yourself before I share it in detail. The point is, is God knows the very motives of our hearts, and he wants to come, and he wants to deal with our hearts. And he, he starts to give this judgment around what he's going to do. And so in verse 6, he says, The Lord regretted that he had made human beings. Now, the problem is, is the English translation is just so unhelpful sometimes. And I know I've said that many times. That word regret doesn't really mean regret, like, okay, I'm so sick and tired of you. Get out of my sight. I'm going to kill you. Which is the way we interpret it, don't we? No, it says, I am pained and I am grieved, not at humanity, but at what I see the sin has caused to humanity. God wasn't trying to get rid of humanity. God was trying to get rid of the sin. And he had offered grace upon grace, grace upon grace, and there was no response. And so in this moment, God is pained, and it's the same pain that he tells that that the human beings are going to go through through childbearing. Can we sound of human beings? The woman how men are going to endure toil and pain as they try and produce from the ground. And those words are all in Genesis chapter 3. That is the pain. It's kind of like this toil, this, oh, my word. It's just not working. He's not kind of saying, well, how do I get rid of, of this hopeless humanity because they're just not doing what I want. But unfortunately, what often happens is that's the way God is pictured, and it's just so wrong. He's not resentful to man. He's not wanting to kill him, like I've said. And in that moment, what is phenomenal is God's pleasure comes out. And it says here in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 8, But Noah found favor in the eyes of God. goes on to say, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people, and he walked faithfully with God. So my question to all of us right now is no matter what context you're in, you could be in the worst thing, you could be doing the worst sin, you could be whatever, but God's grace is available for you. And Noah saw that. And Noah responded to the grace of God despite the impending wrath and judgment that was coming because of sin. What are the circumstances you're in? 
Because if you're walking faithfully with God, that's how you can appropriate the grace that's available to us. And it actually says the grace of God empowers us to say no to ungodliness. Titus 2, verse 11. And so the grace of God is available because the blamelessness, he has no way, he's a man, he's walking blameless before men, a wicked world, he's walking blameless before them, but he's also walking in righteousness, in right standing. It doesn't mean he didn't sin. He's walking in right standing with God. Are, Are we a community that can be able to do that? And then fourthly, as he's walking faithfully, because he's walking faithfully, because he's appropriating God's grace, God starts to reveal the plan that he's about to unfold. And he reveals to Noah what that plan looks like and the part that Noah's going to be in it. If we are not walking with faithfully with God, how do we know? How do you know what part you're going to play even in life past the future? How do you know that maybe you don't even, shouldn't even be here? You should be in another community. How do you know what you should be doing at work this week when we just go through the motions? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, yes. Saturday, Sunday, oh, Monday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. Yes, Friday. Monday, Tuesday. Most of us are doing that as opposed to walking faithfully with God and saying, God, what do you, I'm waking up this morning. God, I want to partner with you throughout this day. I want to appropriate your grace because it's not going to be easy because I'm going to have Mrs. X today. And do I smash you or do I allow your grace to fill me? Because even Paul said, I prayed three times with a thorn in my flesh. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And God just said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, most of us can go, thank you, God. But it is sufficient. And it helps us walk closely with God in faithfulness as he reveals his plans to us. We're going to pray just now around our municipal elections. I listened to a preach by Bill Johnson last week. And one of the things he said, and you can imagine in the States right now, you've got Hillary Clinton and you've got Trump. There's not much of a choice there, is there? Okay? So he says, last year in the States... Only 50% of evangelicals voted. You look within even in the city, how few people, and let me use white people vote because of their apathetic stance, and then they complain about the government. I love what Bill Johnson said. He said, you know, most of you have told me that you didn't vote because you didn't like any of the candidates. He's going, okay, number one, that's the spirit of stupidity because you think God is kind of surprised by who's actually running. Why don't you go before God and ask him who you should vote for? Can I even say right now, there are some of you that should be voting ANC. What? What? You see, we go like that, don't we? Now, who am I going to vote for? I'm not doing a political thing. I'm not saying vote ANC, vote DA. I know who I'm going to vote for. And I've got reasons why, and I feel convicted towards that. I was supposed to be in Guinea next week. I told the guys, I'm not going, I'm voting. Why? Because I want to put my mark. Oh, what, what, what difference does my vote make? No, what is the plan that God is unfolding in, in, in his heart? And have you gone and walked faithfully with him so you know what that is for the municipal elections? Because why would Christians vote for different parties if God wasn't leading them that way? Either they're not listening, or God is actually doing that for his reasons. Now, I'm pretty sure there's not one person or very few people in this tent right now that would vote ANC. I'm probably sure about that. But have you gone to God and asked that question? Or are you just going to vote because that's the way that the wave of Gauteng is telling you to vote? 
Can you hear my heart on this, guys? Walk faithfully with God. It says here in Hebrews 11, By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of the household, of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. So when our faith meets God's faithfulness, the kingdom comes. We can't stand back and not step out in faith and vote on Wednesday. We cannot. As Christians, as people who believe in God and trust in God, you are giving God nothing to work with in your own life if you don't step out and vote, whichever way you're going to vote. Here's the thing. It's God's idea to build the ark. It was Moses' response to actually, Moses, Rose, that guy, Noah, responsibility to expedite the plans. What is God's plans for you, this new beginning? What are your, is God downloading plans for you so you can step out and expedite them? Or are you just going, okay, that happened, so therefore, she said, Mrs. X did that to me. I'm going to go smash her. Or are you going, no, okay, God, what do you want out of the situation? What are you facing right now? What is your new beginning? What is your new job? What is your new move in, in life, your new home? What is that home going to be used for? No, and I know you guys. I know I can ask you that question. Because there's a hospita- hospitable couple who will have people in their home, will pray over people who will have much going on that will impact this world. Or is it just like, like the Morgans? I wish they were here. Do you know that they built that house? And most of you have been to that house. It's a magnificent home. But they said, God said to them, build this home because it's going to be a blessing to the Lifehouse community. There's been times that they've been on the bones of their bottom and they've thought of selling the house, but they felt restrained because of what God said. What is the word of the Lord that God has given you? Are you holding on to it? For a hundred years, Noah built that ark. A hundred years. He preached for a hundred years. Go read Second Peter. He preached for a hundred years. He had not one convert. Not one convert in a hundred years. He was either a really bad preacher <laughs> or the people were deaf, spiritually deaf. Yeah, possibly physically deaf too. And yet he was blameless amongst them, so he had favor. He wasn't a man they hated. He wasn't that soapbox oak who stood on there smashing people with their Bibles. No, he was blameless amongst the people. He preached the word of God. He warned the people. Not one. So, so, so was he a man not involved in the multiplication of God's processes? No. But he was faithful. And look what God did in and through him. You see, the whole creative initiative around the ark, around what it looked like, was God's. All Noah had to do was to make space to hear what that plan was so he could do what God had called him to do. He was obedient and he was willing. And he appropriated because grace flowed to Noah. Noah appropriated. Are you appropriating the grace of God that he's affording you right now? Because it takes us, well, let me give you a few things that happened with me. The thing about the plans of God, they always come at an inconvenient time. Nikki's giggling because she knows. God asked us to plant Lifehouse Church after we had our fourth child. Ella was less than six months old. Um, Lord, salary, provision, family of six, help, 
No, Gary, step out in faith. Okay, Lord, faith meets God's faithfulness. God says, okay, buy a piece of land. God, we've just started. I think you're a bit crazy. No? Start planning. Go look. Go to, go to state agents. Go look. 15 months in, we find the piece of land. Okay, now we've got to find the money. I'm not going through the whole story. Just saying, step out. If God is bringing you beginnings, what do you need to do? What are the steps that you need to do? I remember when I was part of a previous church, I was asked to come into leadership within the church. I'm too busy. I'm doing my articles. I'm not busy with my career. Just step away from the vehicle. Again, I was asked, please, won't you join the leadership? No, I'm too busy. The third time I was asked, I felt God say to me, Gary, it's the last time I'm asking you. I'm going to move on to patience in a moment. God is patient. God is asking us to step up. And I'm not just asking about Lifehouse. I'm saying we're talking about ministry to this world. To extend the multiply the likeness and image of God to this world. God is saying, Gary, I want to put you into a place of influence so that I can work out my calling in your life. I knew from a young age I was called to preach. I knew from a young age I was called to be a pastor. Yes, I went and studied a CA and God in his amazing wisdom and whatever, all that stuff has brought about the fact that over this season I can go back and tent make for the season for us to build the, the property. I'm holding down two jobs and leaving the church. I'm not asking you to feel sorry for me. I'm not trying to say, well, I'm great. I'm not. I'm saying, God, how much longer? I can't hold this out much longer. <laughs> but the point is, is that God has provided on every step of the way. God, this is not convenient for me to go back to work right now. But Gary, I want you to. I would never have been able to pray for Diane if that hadn't happened. I've just told you her name. Mrs. X. Look at this. Yeah. If you've seen men in black, you would know what I'm saying. <laughs> so what I'm saying to you is there may be a call right now that God is, in your heart right now, God is saying, I need you to do this. I need you to do that. Do you think it was convenient to go out at night in the cold to feed people who need food? I think it was convenient for Derek to make this, that, that, that cup of soup. It wasn't. It was a more, big cup of soup. Yeah, more than one, yeah. Do, do, do you hear what I, it's not convenient to go out and to minister to the poor. And yet God is calling us as a community to continually do that in increasing measures. I would love the next time that we go out that there's more than a handful of people. Not, not to show, not out of performance. Please hear my heart on that. But to go out and to actually go and make a difference in someone's life just by handing them a, a cup of soup and a bread roll and a pair of gloves. It was freezing on Monday. Lastly, God's, well, second lastly, God's patience. It says in 1 Peter 3.20, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. God waited a hundred years because he wanted people to respond. God is so, I'm thankful, thank you Lord that he's patient with me. Because I would be dead. You don't know the intents and motives of my heart. I'm the pastor. I promise you, if you saw my life up on there, you would not follow me. The things that go through my head sometimes, I think, what? I'm not trying to be overly humble. I'm saying we're all like that, if we're honest. We don't want the videotape of our life up there and what we do in secret and what we say in secret and what we think in secret. But what we do is we come before God and we say, God, we've got to keep fighting. We've got to keep going. God is patient with us. Thank goodness for it. But there is a time where he says, okay, 
<laughs> the ark's ready. <laughs> Here comes the rain. Let's not be on that side of things when God comes. Lastly, God's promise. This is something I'm going to spend more time on, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right now. But it says in Genesis 6 verse 18, this is before the flood, guys. He says to Noah, I will establish my covenant with you. What is the word God's given you? He will establish his covenant. Remember, a promise is conditional. A covenant is conditional. Even our covenant with Jesus, what's happened is, is we have a covenant that has justified us as Christians. We are forever a new creation. But the inheritance that we've got depends on us walking it out. And that's what happened with Abraham. And then God commanded an oath. We'll see after this, God commands an oath. It's actually not a covenant. It's an oath that he will never destroy the earth by water again. When God says that, he will never do it again. When he says to Abraham, I will make an oath that this is what I will do. I've promised it up until now, but you have shown yourself to be faithful. Now I'm making an oath. That is one of the things I long to see God do in my life. It's despite all my failings, despite all of who I am, that I would walk faithfully with God. And there will be a moment where God says to me, Gary, you've been faithful. I now make an oath that what I've promised I will establish in your life. To hear those words. My inheritance is secure, not because of performance, but because I have been with God and I have faithfully walked with Him. That's the beautiful thing about this. God shows Himself ready to meet people, and the promise of relationship is there. Jesus came not to get us to heaven, and I keep saying this, but to bring us back to the Father. And the fact is, is that the restoration of God's creation was started with a promise. Your new beginnings start with a promise. The new beginnings of life are start with a promise. Are we going to walk into it? Because if we appropriate all of what I've just said, as these new beginnings start to unfold, and I look across this room, and I see Karen and Kerry with a new beginning. I see Mark is about to start a new beginning as he finishes up his studies. I see Linda starting a new beginning. And maybe one that wasn't pleasant to start with, but God is going to work all things to the good. Rob and Tab starting new beginnings. And Elisa's got the most amazing testimony. And over the next two weeks, I want you to come pregnant with the testimonies of new beginnings. Yes. I sat in Doppio Zero, my eyes filling with tears, hearing what God is doing. And when you hear this testimony, if you don't shed a tear, you, God is into restoration. God is into new beginnings. And so she's preparing something to come and share with us over the next two weeks. Come and bring your new beginning testimony. I see many of you starting new beginnings. Helen and Steve starting new beginnings with a new child. There's many people here who have started new jobs, new things. God is taking us into a place. And if we follow that doc principle, remember, just to finish off, are we depending on God? Are we obediently walking faithfully with what God is saying as he's unfolding to us? Because the consequence is either life or death. What is your perspective of God? Is he a loving, gracious, kind, heavenly father who affords us grace? Or is he that big man who wants to smash you? Understand, the pain God feels is for what he sees that sin causes in us. It's not for us. The pleasure, we can only appropriate grace through faith. God's pleasure is to dispense grace in every context, and we see it throughout the Bible. 
Are, are you hearing God's plans for your life? Is he revealing them? Because he will. Hold on to those things because when you wait patiently on God, when he is patient with you, he's going to unfold those things. And lastly, the promise of God. What is the word that God has given you? Keep pushing into that, especially in these new beginning times. Because what you're going to start to see is I'm going to start to take these themes of multiplication, of covenants, of all of these things that kind of fill these pillars of new beginnings that take us in. Because if we don't build on the right foundations, on the right basis, the whole building will fall down. I know I've been long this morning. <laughs> I was up late last night going, how do I communicate all of this? Because I knew I was going to be quite lengthy this morning. But I'm trying to massage this thing in. That it's about the character. We've got to start with the character of God, of who he is. And all of those things are who God is. And when we come to the dock, <laughs> the great dock in the sky, without degrading who God is, and we depend on him and we allow his life to flow through us and we walk in obedience with him, he takes us into the things that he has for us.